It's time now for today's edition of Community Conversations. It's the interview program in which we dialogue with voices from the Omaha community. And here's your host for Community Conversations. Let's welcome Cami Carlisle. Hello and welcome to another edition of Community Conversations. I'm Cami Carlisle and today we are speaking with gubernatorial candidate Senator Carol Blood. Welcome, Senator. Well, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Now, I have to mention before we get too far into this, that we did contact Pillen's campaign because we always believe in airing both sides, but nothing from him. So we will carry on. Now, before we get too far into politics, I wanted to just ask you a few lightning round questions just so our listeners can get to know you outside of the political realm. Are you game for that? I am always game for fun. Let's go. All right. So here we go. Lightning round questions. Favorite color? Turquoise. Dogs or cats? Both. (laughs) Mountains or a beach? Both. (laughs) Favorite food? Anything Mexican. Mm, I agree. Uh, TV or book? Gosh, depends on the time of day. um, I'll say book. Okay. Uh, City or country? City. Scary or funny movies? Funny. Coffee or tea? Both. Snow or rain? Snow. And the last question, if you could have dinner with anyone, alive or deceased, who would it be? Abraham Lincoln. All right. Well, that was fun. Thank you. Thanks. And now into politics, here we go. So, Senator, you have been out there doing all the legwork all across Nebraska, talking to the people, and we are getting close. I mean, we're sending in our mail-in votes, and voting day in person is coming up. So tell us a little bit about your background. How did you even get into politics? Yeah, well, born in McCook, Nebraska, raised on a farm outside of Hastings, Nebraska. We still have a family farm in Clay Center. Raised my own family in Sarpy County, Nebraska, three adult children and 10 uh, amazing grandchildren. And I can tell you that since my fourth grade tour of the Nebraska State Capitol in grade school, uh-huh. I have known that I wanted to be a Nebraska State Senator. Now, wow. back up, that was before I knew they made only $12,000 a year. Right. But nonetheless, <laughs> I still wanted to be a state senator. Wow, so, that's amazing. Fourth grade? Yeah, I Fourth grade. That's like a standard thing you do in fourth grade in Nebraska. You you did gets to the Capitol. And I still have a Polaroid from that day. I'm standing by the Abraham Lincoln statue Uh on the west side of the Capitol. Um, But for me first, I mean, clearly I had to finish grade school, Um, (laughs) but of course, (laughs) but I, I also had, I had a family and the thought of running, driving back and forth to Lincoln while the kids were little didn't appeal to me. Sure. Um, But I was working from home a lot because I'm a business consultant and I would listen to public access television in the background, um, mm-hmm. Gulby City Council meetings. And I'd find myself yelling at the TV. What do you mean you don't have a plan? What do you mean you don't know how you're going to spend your money next year? And then I realized that maybe the universe was talking to me. Yes. <laughs> and so I did a little research, found out that we were Dylan's rural state, which means political subdivisions really can't do anything when it comes to how they pay for things that isn't set in state statute. So I thought, well, you know, maybe it would be a good idea to run for city council first, get a little experience under my belt. Sure. Um, And my youngest was, um, I can't remember if she was in high school or college, but she was pretty much done with school. And uh, I had uh, seven people in my primary, five Republicans and two Democrats, Mm. and was told there's no way in heck I was going to win. And I won. 
Yay. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, outspent five to one in the general, still won and yeah. won re-election. Mm-hmm. Um, I beat an incumbent to win my seat in the legislature and I'm in my second term. That's so nice. I, I got to be honest, this is where I was going to stop. Like I, in my head, I never wanted to be anything besides a senator. Like, oh, really? Yeah, never. I, I didn't think, ooh, I want to be, a, you know, a lifelong uh, politician or none of that. None of that. Sure. Appealed to me. Because I, the reason I like being a senator is like, I'm a policy geek. Like, I love policy. I hate <laughs> politics. Like politics. <laughs> oh, right. Disgusting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And if you look at, at, you know, the pragmatic bills I've brought forward and how successful I've been, I mean, you know, that shores up what I just said. But I, you know, I don't know if you watched the primary, but the primary in Nebraska was for the governor's race. Crazy. Mm-hmm. It was. Um, people were all playing out the same playbook. Yeah, yeah. They were doing this us versus them narrative. Um, and they do something that I call smoke and mirrors. So mm-hmm. in election cycles, people do smoke and mirrors, which are usually pretend problems that they want you to be angry about or scared about. Um, oh. And they want to give you misinformation. They don't tell you what to vote for. They tell you what to vote against. Right. And I really believe they do that because then if they do get elected, they never have to solve the real problems that affect everyday Nebraskans. Yep. Um, and, you know, like I said, born and raised in Nebraska and growing up, I never remember hearing things about party. You know, you, you come in a farm, you go to the coffee shop and people are like, well, what's Jim Exon going to do for the farmers this year? Right. It was never those, you know, I mean, the language they use is not this nice, but it was never those darn Democrats or those darn Republicans or that it was it was always about can people do the job? Right. I remember those days. Yeah, I know. Right. Um, And are they qualified to do the job? And now it's more about can you buy your way into office and how Mm -hmm. dirty can you go? Exactly. And so after like the seventh or eighth person threw their hat in the ring, I was like, well, at the very least, at the very least, I'm going to show people that. There are folks that can run good campaigns without mm-hmm. millions of dollars, right. which I've shown over and over again. And that not only do we talk about the problems, but we talk about how to solve those problems. Exactly. I mean, go figure, right? Right. Here's the problem. Let me tell you how I'm going to fix this problem. Exactly. Um, but I, I think we've gotten so used to platitudes and the rhetoric mm-hmm. that we don't even have the expectation anymore that we, our elected officials are actually going to talk to us and solve problems. And I think that's really sad. And that's, that's why I'm running. Excellent. Well, it's been a joy to watch you on the unicameral floor, and it's been a joy to know that you're out talking to the people of Nebraska and offering what you would do and how you would do it. How have things been going talking to folks? Are they receptive? Yeah, absolutely. So what I do a little differently than than my opponent is that I invite everybody to our town halls and meet and greets. Like it's not Mm -hmm. one party, it's all parties. Right. And it's not invite only. We put it out, you know, in the area newspapers and radio and TV. And we're like, all are welcome. Please come to our events. Mm-hmm. And I, I was just at an event before this. And they asked me, like, what's been the highlight of your uh, of your campaign? And I hadn't really thought about it. But mm-hmm. I can tell you, the highlight of my campaign is when people leave my events and they say two things. You were a breath of fresh air, which is just the nicest compliment ever, right? <laughs> right. Especially when all the trolls abuse you on social media. It's nice to hear a nice compliment, right? Yeah, I bet. And, and then they say, I learned more about state government in the hour and a half that you spoke than I did in my whole career in school. And that is not saying that they didn't teach them in school. I think sometimes putting things into a synopsis where you talk about like the flow chart of state government mm-hmm. and you explain how everything falls under the executive branch which happens to be your governor, right? you know, that like 
it seems like we've had so many leaders in Nebraska point the fingers of the different departments that have these these failed policies, these bad contracts, um, that we don't realize that the buck really stops in the governor's office. Yeah. And so I can I can say to you that with all, I mean, I can't think of one exception where anybody has walked out on an event, which I kind of expected, by the mm-hmm. way. Um, and especially when you're in a town of like 300 people, right? Yeah, um, yeah. That's amazing. I, you, I know. And it's, and it, for me, it's very energizing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we drive everywhere. I was just in Extel, Nebraska last night, three and a half hours away. Um, drove back so I could sleep in my own bed, um, <laughs> which is like a... The most wonderful thing during a campaign is to be able to. I bet. Yeah, it's like heaven. Um, but you know, we we when we do go out west, we usually try and do three events a day mm-hmm. for like three days in a row. So we'll do wow. nine to twelve events. Um, we usually start at like four thirty in the morning on the first day, and we'll get home around midnight, one o'clock on the last day. Um, you know, we do about eighteen hour days each day. Mm-hmm. Um, I can only do three days because by the end of the day, that that third day, I lose my voice. I'm sure. Right. I'm sure. Yeah. It's a lot of Uh talking and I don't have like a really deep voice, but I can say it's going really well. And you know, we always tell folks when you vote for more of the same, you get more of the same. And why do you keep voting the same way if you want things to be different? Yes. You know, that's when we tell them it's time for new blood in Nebraska. Right. Yes, absolutely. One thing I really liked on your website is your transparency and how you said that if you became governor, you would totally be held accountable. And I love that so much because that doesn't happen. (laughs) That hasn't happened for a long time. So as governor, I mean, how would you unite the people of Nebraska? You you know, the first thing I do is something called strategic planning. Like Mm -hmm. I have a lot of things that I want to get done in Nebraska, but we can't, we're not an island. We think we are, but we're really not an island. Mm -hmm. So the way we budget right now in Nebraska is we cut, 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 and we say, oh, we got to tighten our belts. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't tighten our belts. I'm saying that when you cut, cut, cut without planning, what happens are things like the St. Francis contract where, you know, our foster children and their families fell through the cracks. Or what happened in Mead, Nebraska, you know, with the Alt End plant where people in Saunders County are going to be having to deal with those those poisons for decades. Right. Um, You know, and that was because, you know, we, we took two departments and merged them together to save money and when you keep doing these things to cut, 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 and you don't have a plan, what happens is then the state of Nebraska ends up throwing money at things like an ATM later mm-hmm. because they yeah. allow things to fester and they don't, they can't fix it without the money. So right. ultimately it looks like we're saving tax dollars, but we're really not. Yeah. And so if we do strategic planning, what we're going to do is we're going to travel all over the state. You know, Good. we're going to go to all these small communities and we're going to say, okay, let's narrow down your top three priorities for this part of the state, for where you live? Is it mm-hmm. access to mental health help? Is it access to health care? Is it roads and bridges? Is it broadband? What are your top three real priorities that you think about mm-hmm. every day that are going to make your community better, safer, more accessible? Sure. Um, <clears throat> and then we'll take, after we go all over Nebraska, and by mm-hmm. the way, we'll do this inviting the public when they can actually attend, by the way. So, so like after work and... Yeah, after work and weekends. and Perfect. Um, and then we'll take this back to the state level and we'll put together a statewide plan. And what we'll do is then we'll, we'll mirror our budget mm-hmm. to oh. that plan. I know, what a surprise that you would want no. your budget to match your plan. Um, but we'll, but the nice thing about strategic planning is then you have metrics. I always say you need to measure what you treasure, right? Mm-hmm. True, yes. So we'll report back to you every year, the, the citizens, the residents of Nebraska, and say, okay, 
This is what we've accomplished. This is what we haven't accomplished and why. This is what we think we're going to tweak because we think we can do better. But mm-hmm. every single year, you're going to be able to know without having to go line by line on a computer screen how we're spending your tax dollars. But more, the most powerful thing is that it's your voices that are in that plan. Exactly. You know, we'll bring in business. We'll bring in schools. You know, we're going to bring in nonprofits. We're bringing them to the table, too. But we need right. to bring in Nebraskans because people have lost faith in government. Yep. People don't know how their tax dollars are being spent. No idea. And quite frankly, we have totally forgot about the middle class in Nebraska. If you look at all of our tax breaks, it's always for the wealthy and big business. It's not for the average Nebraskan. Yeah. I mean, that big income tax bill that they've been bragging about all year long. I mean, the average Nebraskan got like seven bucks. Right. I mean, you can get a hamburger, but no drink and fries, right? Exactly. Um, so I, that for me is really going to be the core of what we do. And I think it's also going to bring to light things that we may not know about certain parts of Nebraska. Right. I was wondering so far in your journeys, is there anything that really sticks out in the rural areas versus urban that you're seeing? I can say that property taxes sticks out in both um, right. and for different was, reasons. Yeah. So the thing that irks me about both the workforce shortage and property taxes mm-hmm. are really the same thing. So We'll, we'll start with property taxes. We have known for 25 years, well, since Ben Nelson was governor. Right. There's been research done that shows that the underlying cause of high property taxes are unfunded and underfunded mandates and the fact that we don't fully fund our schools. Right. So Senator Deb Fisher, when she was in the body, had a bill. Senator Sue Crawford, Senator Justin Wayne, Senator Carol Blood. We've all had bills to stop this, which means mm-hmm. that we don't, what the bills would be would like, don't pass laws unless you can show how to pay for them. Yes. So we pass laws and then we pass the costs down onto our political subdivisions. And since we're a Dillon's rural state, we limit how they can pay for things. So yeah. if we keep putting these mandates on their budgets, eventually they're going to have to dip somewhere and that's going to be your property taxes. Yep. We took away late aid to local government back during the last recession and we never reinstated it. Mm. So that's when your property taxes really started to soar. So yeah. if we can stop the mandates, if we can fully fund our schools, which we can, by the way, we're in a perfect, we're in the catbird seat right now, we can do it. Um, then we can immediately lower your property taxes. And people would so, rejoice. <laughs> well, but the thing is, is that what we've been doing is playing shell games mm-hmm. with your tax dollars. And, right. you know, we, we don't want it to be tax passive. We want it to be tax assertive. In other words, we don't want to automatically give you tax relief. We want you to have to fill out paperwork so you know who gave you the property tax relief, like right. what's going on with their schools. Right. And that's that's not by accident. I really believe after this session, they don't want to lower your property taxes because if they did, what would they run on every two years? Exactly. I, I'm serious. Right. Yeah. I never thought those words would come out of my mouth. I I, I am so disappointed in my peers. Um, and then the workforce shortage. If yep. you... If you listen to Radio Talking Book, if you listen to the news, if you read the newspaper 25 years ago, you guys all told us we're going to have a workforce shortage because the baby boomers are aging out. Yeah. And how did Nebraska plan for that? They didn't. Yep. I was going to say, I don't think we did. (laughs) Not really. And so Mm -hmm. now what do we do? We're throwing tens of millions of dollars at the problem that we allowed to fester. And we're like, oh, my gosh, we have a workforce shortage and we must do something immediately and spend a lot of your money. I'm seeing a pattern here. Yeah, well, yeah. and that's pretty much it with government in Nebraska is that we don't plan. We allow things to fester. Once they fester, we do one of two things. We throw money at it or like the Alt-End plant in Mead, Nebraska. We pretend it doesn't happen and we hope it goes away and everybody forgets. Oh, my. 
That's horrible. It is horrible, especially when you're the collateral damage. Nebraskans are the collateral damage on this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And so that brings up public safety and public health. And I know Mm -hmm. you've got some plans around that. Yeah. Um, So, gosh, we have such a short time to talk. Um, (laughs) So we need to make sure that uh, that healthcare and mental health especially is accessible to everybody across Nebraska. We have a shortage in the healthcare industry. Again, we saw this coming and did nothing. The pandemic made it worse. We had to start tapping into the people who retired early, bring them back into the workforce. Mm-hmm. We had to do Grow UR programs. I mean, if you're already working in the system as a housekeeper or a receptionist, you're in that system all the time in that demographic. That's a really good way to recruit people to become nurses, become technicians. Um, but we also have to eliminate hurdles to to jobs like this that require education and licensure. Um, that's one of the reasons as a state senator, I've had more interstate compacts passed than any policymaker in the whole country. And what interstate wow. compacts do, yeah, I know. I just found that out this year. I didn't do it because it was competition, but I'm kind of glad I won. Well, <laughs> Thanks, yeah, right. But it's good for military spouses because they move every two years and they need to be right. able to get to work when they come to Nebraska. So it benefits us. Mm-hmm. But um, what they do is they remove hurdles to employment. If you come from another state and you have a home state license and you're part of the compact, you can come and get to work right away in Nebraska. So we need to keep doing that when it comes to yes. health care um, areas. But um, but more than that, when it comes to safety, you know, the state of Nebraska, a lot of folks don't know this. We literally defunded the law enforcement training center and the law enforcement tra- training center trains all of law enforcement except for Lincoln, Omaha and the state patrol. Oh, boy. It got to the point where um, the money was allocated. The executive branch asked that they not spend the money to upgrade the facilities and hire more staff, by the way, to cover the mandates that have been passed down to them for law enforcement. (laughs) And so what happened was uh, years of waiting lists, three, three months, six months, nine months. It became such a problem for safety that in Sarpy County, we had to put together our own training academy at our own expense. The La Vista, Bellevue, Papillion, Harper County Sheriff's Department and the Douglas County Sheriff's Department. Now we all do our own training because we're the fastest growing county in Nebraska. We couldn't risk these folks not getting trained. And in more rural areas where they just have a handful of folks, right. the baby boomers are aging out. They hire new people. Mm-hmm. They can't get them on the streets because they can't get them trained. So they end up going to another state or to the big city. So they created, we created also a workforce issue. But I don't think a lot of people understood that their lives are endangered because again, the cut, cut, cutting, yeah, don't spend that money so we can say how much money we save tax-wise. If we plan accordingly, and I, I will say, once we got ARPA funds, federal funds, mm-hmm. then, and that was just a couple months ago, right. you know, we had a big ribbon cutting and you know now we're glorifying the fact that we're upgrading the facilities, but nobody's talking about what they did the last few years, which was not their job, right? We right. didn't fund one of the most important. We always talk about how we support the police and public safety and you know uh, being tough on crime, but yet we wouldn't fund our own training staff. <laughs> It is mind boggling. And I think you're right. I don't think a lot of us knew that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's always my favorite thing about town halls is I I get to tell these stories that nobody seems to know about. Right. Um, And it's, and it, and talk to your law enforcement people. They'll tell you the same thing. Um, So when it comes to public safety, we need to make sure that, that training is available and people have to understand too. and, And a cop will be the first one to tell you they're not psychologists. And when they come to, upon somebody who is having a mental health crisis, we limit the tools that they have to help that person, to help themselves, to protect the community. 
um, we do not have enough mental health resources. And what if they're lucky enough, they'll find a bed for that person. Mm-hmm. But usually that's just a two or three day stay. Mm-hmm. And it kind of works like this. Bobby, you've been here for two days. We gave you a new medication. Do you promise you take your medication? And Bobby's going to say, well, yeah, I'll take my medication. A couple issues with that. Bobby may not be telling the truth because Bobby has mental health issues. Yeah. Um, Bobby uh, may not know that that medication takes three to six months to a year to even take you know, to, to mm-hmm. take effect. Um, and so what happens is we start this recycle, this, this cycle where Bobby gets picked up multiple times. And sometimes Bobby gets sucked into then the prison yeah. system where Bobby does not belong because we also don't have mental health help there. Cause right. our being tough on crime in Nebraska means just incarcerating people, not rehabilitating people or providing services. So when they're one day, your neighbor, they're good citizens. Instead, we want apparently to release them angry and, and, and really, and not rehabilitated. No. So, yeah, this, I know. This sounds like a heck of a job. I, I you know, <laughs> so when I see a problem, I see potential for change. Oh, I love that. And and the change that we can do in Nebraska isn't has nothing to do with raising taxes. It has to do with being smart with our taxes mm-hmm. and planning. You know, mm-hmm. I worked for the state prison system, maximum security for six years. And I can tell you that. If we don't rehabilitate, the inmates have nothing but time on their hands to learn how to be better criminals. And like it or not, one day these guys are going to be your neighbors. Do you want them to be good stewards? Mm -hmm. Do you want them to be taxpayers? Yes. Of course you do. And if we have nonviolent offenders, I I look like my veterans. You know, we have a lot of veterans who were in my district with PTSD, and sometimes they make bad decisions because of the mental health issues they're dealing with. Mm -hmm. We have like... 31, 32 problem-solving courts. One of them is veterans court. And that gives us the ability to take a nonviolent offender and get them the true help that they need. You figure it takes, it costs $50,000 to incarcerate somebody in Nebraska. For about half that cost, they'll get better supervision. They'll get the mental health help that they need, the the drug or, um, you know, abuse help that they need, depending on what their issues are. Mm -hmm. Um, If they have to be, you know, have a urinalysis to make sure they're not doing drugs or alcohol, um, they can get that. But we can also keep them working if they were employed or help them find employment or get them the school they need to find employment and keep them out of the system and stop that cycle of violence. I mean, cycle of of incarceration, Mm -hmm. because to me, being tough on crime means slowing down the recidivism rate. Right. And and lowering the crime rate right now, the way that we're doing things, our crime rate is 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 eking up. Which is Statistically, what happens every time you do this? Yep. Um, and so that ultimately costs the taxpayers even more money, and it makes a more dangerous situation for law enforcement, and it makes a more dangerous situation for the community. If we want to be tough on crime, we have to rehabilitate. We have to rehabilitate. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to make sure that we have the pretrial diversion things that we can do before if they're nonviolent criminals, and we have to make sure that when they're getting out, that we have bridges programs because we're just dumping them back where they came from without any help especially if we made them jam out because we didn't rehabilitate them they're coming back right yeah it's and i can tell you that the states that have increased their their courts um and the pretrial diversion programs Mm -hmm. to help people stay out of prison um have closed down prisons those states have like states that you wouldn't even think would have closed down their prisons wow but you know we're one of the most crowded institutions in the United States. Yeah. And and that costs you money too because we're always going to court to defend ourselves on that. Yes. Which is crazy, yes. 
right? Yes. There's so much to do. And so we only have like five minutes left. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. pragmatic. I explain everything. And I love it. And I know our listeners will too. So with the last five minutes, when and if you become governor, what is the first thing you're going to do? I mean, you've got a long list. (laughs) Take a nap. Um, (laughs) This is a really long campaign. Yeah. Um, But after I wake up from my nap, I have a big cup of coffee. Uh-huh. Um, but, but seriously, the first thing I'm going to do is we're going to hit the road for strategic planning because we have to get that done even before I get sworn in so we right. can hit the ground running. So we're going to be talking to Nebraskans and seeing them face to face, just like I'm doing now in my campaign. And we're going to be on a mission to get it done. Excellent. Well, Senator, I could talk to you all day and I wish I could, but thank you for spending the time that you have with us today. Again, and we're statewide, so I know a lot of folks that maybe you've already talked to are listening and saying, yep, yep, that's what she said. <laughs> so thank you for all of your hard work as a senator, and thank you for being out there doing the footwork, and I wish you the very best. And again, thank you for joining us today. I'm Cami Carlisle. You've been listening to Community Conversations on Radio Talking Book, and thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to Community Conversations on Radio Talking Book. It's the interview program that brings you voices from the Omaha community. The Radio Talking Book Network is brought to you with the cooperation of KIOS-FM in Omaha and statewide through the facilities of NET Radio and Television. We've been proudly serving our blind and visually impaired listeners for 46 years. Thank you for being a loyal Radio Talking Book listener and supporter.